This episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, and they have over 100,000 titles available for download. Visit audibletrial.com slash thescaldcircle to begin your trial and download your free audiobook today. It's time to relax, grab a drink, pull up a chair by the hearth, and have a seat in the Scald Circle and listen to Chapter 4 of The High Deeds of Finn and Other Bardic Romances of Ancient Ireland, as told by Manogu. Before we begin our story, we wanted to remind you that we release new tales for free every week. Our shorter tales release on Wednesdays, and our longer chapter stories release on every other Saturday. Find out where you can hear them on our website at thescaldcircle.com. And be certain to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. That way, you'll never miss out on one of our enchanting tales from around the world. Now then, without further ado, this is The High Deeds of Finn and Other Bardic Romances of Ancient Ireland. Chapter 4 King Eubden and King Fergus It happened on a day when Fergus is son of Leda was King of Ulster, that Eubden, king of the leprechauns or wee folk of the land of Phelan, held a great banquet at assembly of the lords and princes of the wee folk. And all of the captains and their men of war came thither, to show their feats before the king, among whom was a strong man, namely Glower, whose might was such that his battle-axe could hew down a thistle at one stroke. Thither also came the king's heir apparent, Tiny, son of Tot, and the Queen Bebo with her maidens. And there were also the king's harpers and singmen, and the chief poet of the court, who was called Isert. All these sat down to the feast in due order and precedence, with Bebo on the king's right hand and the poet on his left, and Glower kept the door. Soon the wine began to flow from the vats of the dark red yew wood and the carvers carved bustily at great hotches of roast hares and ribs of field mice, and they all ate and drank and loudly the hall rang with gay talk and laughter, and the drinking of toasts and clashing of silver goblets. At last, when they had put away their desire of eating and drinking, Eubden rose up, having in his hand the royal goblet with gold inlaid with precious many-coloured jewels, and the heir apparent rose at the other end of the table and they drank prosperity and victory to Phelan. Then Eubden's heart swelled with pride, and he asked of the company, Come now, have any of you ever seen a king more glorious and powerful than I am? Never in truth, cried they all. Have you ever seen a stronger man of heart than my giant glower? Never, O king, said they. Or battle steeds and men-at-arms better than mine? By our words, they cried, we never have. Truly, went on Eubden, I deem that he who would assail our kingdom of Phelan and carry away captives and hostages from us would have his work cut out for him. So fierce and mighty are our warriors, yea, any one of them hath the stuff of kingship in him. On hearing this, Esiot, in whom the heady wine and ale had also done their work, burst out laughing. The king turned to him, saying, Esiot, what hath moved thee to thy laughter? Oh, I know a province in Erin, replied Esiot, one man of whom would harry Phelan in the teeth of all four battalions of the wee folk. 
<laughs> Seize him then, cried the king to his attendants. Eset shall pay dearly in chains and in prison for that scornful speech against our glory. Then Eset was put in bonds, and he repented him of his bragging. But ere they dragged him away, he said, Grant me, O mighty king, but three days' respite, that I may travel to Erin to the court of Fergus MacLeader. And if I bring not back some clear token that I have uttered not but the truth, then do with me as thou will. So Eubden bade them release him, and he fared away to Erin oversea. After this, one day, as Fergus and his lords were at feast, the gatekeeper of the palace of Fergus in Imara heard outside a sound of ringing. He opened the gate, and there stood a wee man holding in his hand a rod of white bronze hung with little silver bells, by which poets are wont to procure silence for their recitations. Most noble and comely was the little man to look on. Though the short grass of the lawn reached as high as his knee, his hair was twisted in four-ply strands after the matter of poets, and he wore a gold-embroidered tunic of silk and an ample scarlet cloak with a fringe of gold. On his feet he wore shoes of white bronze ornamented with gold, and a silken hood was on his head. The gatekeeper wondered at the sight of the wee man, and went to report the matter to King Fergus. Is he less, asked Fergus, than my dwarf and poet Eda? Uh, verily, said the gatekeeper. He could stand upon the palm of Eda's hand and have room to spare. Then with much laughter and wonder they all trooped out, lords and ladies, to the great gate to view the wee man and speak with him. But Eseat, when he saw them, waved them back in alarm, crying, Avant, huge man, bring not your heavy breast so near to me. But let young man that is least among you approach me and bear me in. So the dwarf Eda put Iseat in on his palm and bore him into the banqueting hall. Then they sat him on the table, and Iseat declared his name and calling. The king ordered that meat and drink should be given him. But Iseat said, I will neither eat of your meat nor drink of your ale. By our word, said King Fergus, tis a haughty wight. He ought to be dropped into a goblet that he might at least drink all round him. The cupbearer seized Iseat and put him into a tankard of ale, and he swam on the surface of it. Ye wise man of Ulster, he cried, there is much knowledge and wisdom you might gain from me, yet you will let me be drowned. What then? cried they. Then Iseat, beginning with the king, set out to tell every hidden sin that each man or woman had done. And ere he had gone far, they, with much laughter and chiding, fetched him out of the ale-pot and dried him with fair satin napkins. Now ye have confessed that I know somewhat to the purpose, said Iseat. And I will even eat of your food, but do ye give heed to my words, and do ill no more. Fergus then said, If thou art a poet, Iseat, Give us now a taste of thy delightful art. That I will, said Iseat, and the poem that I shall recite to you shall be an ode in praise of my king, Eubden the Great. Then he recited his lay. A monarch of might is Eubden my king, his brow is snow white, his hair black as night. As a red copper bull when smitten with sing, so ringeth the voice of Eubden the king. His eye in they roll, majestic and bland, 
on the laws of his land arrayed for the fight, a spectacle grand. Like a torrent they rush, with a waving of swords, and the brides all ringing, and cheeks all aflush, and the battle seeds springing, a beautiful, terrible, death-dealing band, like pines straight and tall, where Eugdin is king, and the men one and all. The maidens are fair, bright gold is their hair, from silver we quaff, the dark heady ale that never shall fail. We love and we fight, gold frontlets we wear, and I through the air sweet music doth ring. Oh, Fergus, men say, that in all Innisfall there is not a maiden so proud or so wise. But what give her to wise, thy kisses to win? But I tell thee that there thou canst never compare with the haughty, magnificent King of Faelin. At this they all applauded, and Fergus said, O oh, youth and blameless bard, let us be friends henceforth. And they all heaped before him, as a poet's reward, gifts of rings and jewels and gold cups and weapons, as high as a tall man standing. Then Isaac said, Truly a generous and worthy reward you have given me, O men of Ulster. Yet take back these precious things, I pray you, for every man in my king's household hath an abundance of them. But the Ulster lord said, Nothing that we have given may we take back. Isaac then bade two-thirds of his reward be given to the bards and learned men of Ulster, and one-third to the horse-boys and jesters, and so it was done. Three days and nights did Isaac abide in Amania, and all the king's court loved him and made much of him. Then he wished them blessing and victory and prepared to depart to his own country. Now Ida, the king's dwarf and minstrel, begged Isaac to take him with him on a visit to the country of Faelin. And Isaac said, I shall not bid thee come, for then if kindness and hospitality be shown thee, thou wilt say it is only what I had undertaken. But if thou come of thine own motion, thou wilt perchance be grateful. So they went off together, but Isaac could not keep up with Ida. And Ida said, I perceive that Isaac is a poor walker. At this Isaac ran off like a flash, and was soon an aeroflight in front of Ida. When the latter at last came up to him, he said, The right thing, I see it, is not too fast and not too slow. Since I have been in Ulster, I see it replied, I have never before heard ye measure out the right. By and by, they reached the margin of the sea. And what are we to do now? asked Ida. Be troubled not, Ida, said Isiot. The horse of Eugden will bear us easily over this. They waited a while on the beach, and ere long they saw it coming toward them, skimming over the surface of the wave. Save and protect us, cried Ida at the sight. But Isiot asked him what he saw. A red-maned hare, answered Ida. Nay, that is but Eugden's horse, said Isiot. And with that the creature came prancing to land with flashing eyes and waving tail, and a long russet-coloured mane. A bridle beset with gold it had. Isaac mounted and bade Ida come up behind him. Thy boat is little enough for thee alone, said Ida. Cease fault-finding and grumbling, then said Isiot. 
for the weight of wisdom that is in thee will not bear him down. So Ida and Iseat mounted on the fairy horse, and away they sped over the tops of the waves and the depths of the ocean, till at last they reached the kingdom of Faelin. And there were a great concourse of the wee folk awaiting them. Iseat is coming! Iseat is coming! cried they all. And a Fomorian giant along with him! Then Eubden went forth to meet Iseat, and he kissed him, and said, Why hast thou brought this Fomorian with thee to slay us? He is no Fomor, said Iseat, but a learned man and a poet from Ulster. He is moreover the king of Ulster's dwarf, and in all that realm he is the smallest man. He can lie in their great men's bosoms and stand upon their heads as though he were a child. Yet for all that you would do well to be careful how you behave to him. What is his name? said they then. He is the poet Eda, said Iseat. Ugh, said they, what a giant has brought us! And now, O king, said Iseat to Eubden, I challenge thee to go and see for thyself the region from which we have come, and make trial of the royal porridge, which is made for Fergus, king of Ulster, this very night. At this, Eubden was very much dismayed, and he bestook himself to Bebo, his wife, and told her how he had laid under bonds of chivalry by Esiot to go to the land of the giants, and he bade her prepare to accompany him. I will go, said she, but you did an ill deed when you condemned the Esiot to prison. So they mounted both of them on the fairy steed and in no long time they reached Amania, and it was now past midnight, and they were greatly afraid, and said Bebo, Let us search for that porridge and taste it, as we were bound, and make off again, ere the folk awake. They made their way into the palace of Fergus, and soon they found a great porridge pot, but the rim was too high to be reached from the ground. Get thee upon thy horse, said Bebo, and... From thence to the rim of this cauldron. And thus he did. But having gained the rim of the pot over his arm was too short to reach the silver ladle that was in it. In straining downward to do so, however, he slipped and fell in. And up to his middle the thick porridge he was stuck fast. And when Bebo heard what a plight he was in, she wept and said, Rash and hasty wert thou, Eubden, to have gotten to this evil case. But surely there is no man under the sun that can make thee hear reason. And he said, Rash indeed it was, but thou canst not help me, Bebo. Now, and it is not folly to stay, take the horse and flee away ere the break day. Oh, say not so, replied Bebo, for surely I will not go till I see how things fall out with thee. At last the folk in the palace began to be stirring, and ere long they found Eubden in the porridge pot. So they picked him out with great laughter and bore him off to Fergus. Be my conscience, said Fergus, but this is not the little fellow that was here before, for he had yellow hair, but this one hath a shock of the blackest. Who art thou at all, wee man? I am of the wee folk, said Eubden, and am indeed king over them, and this woman is my wife and queen, Bebo. Take him away, then said Fergus to his violets, and guard him well for he misdoubted some of the mischief a fairy was afoot. Nay, nay, cried Eubden, 
But let me not with these coarse fellows. I pledge thee my word that I will not quit this place till thou and Ulster give me leave. Could I believe that, said Fergus, I would not put thee in these bonds. I have never broken my word, said Eubden, and I never will. Then Fergus set him free and allotted him a fair chamber for himself, and a trusty serving man to wait upon him. Soon there came in a gilly whose business it was to see to the fires, and he kindled the fire for Eubden, throwing on it a woodbine together with divers of other sorts of timber. Then Eubden said, Man of smoke, burn not the king of the trees, for it is not meet to burn him. Wouldst thou but take counsel from me, thou mightest go safely by land and sea. Eubden then chanted to him the following recital of the duties of office. O fire gilly of Fergus of the feasts, never by land or sea burn the king of the woods. High king of the forest of Innisfall, whom none may bind, but who like a strong monarch holds all the other trees in hard bondage. If thou burn the twinning one, misfortune will come of it, peril at the point of spear or drowning in the waves. Burn not the sweet apple tree of drooping branches, of the white blossom to whom gracious head each man puts forth his hand. The stubborn blackthorn wanders far and wide. The good craftsman burns not this timber. Little though its bushes be, yet flocks of birds warble in them. Burn not the noble willow, the unfailing ornament of poems. Bees drink from its blossoms, all delight in the graceful tent. The delicate, airy tree of the druids, the rowan with its berries, this burn. But avoid the weak tree, burn not the slender hazel. The ash tree of the black buds, burn not. Timber that speeds the wheel, that speeds the rider his switch. The ashen spear is the scale beam of battle. The tangled, bitter bramble, burn him, the sharp and green. He flays and cuts the foot. He snares you and drags you back. Hottest of timber is a green oak. He will give you a pain in the head if you use him overmuch. A pain in the eyes will come from his biting fumes. Full charged with witchcraft is the adder, the hottest tree in the fight. Burn assuredly both the adder and the whitehorn at your will. Holly, burn it in the green and in the dry. Of all the trees in this world, holly is the absolute best. The elder tree of the rough brown bark, burn him to cinders, the steed of the fairy folk. The drooping birch, by all means burn him too. The tree of long-lasting bloom. And lay low if it pleases you, the russet aspen. Late or early, burn the tree with quaking plumage. The yew is the venerable ancestor of the wood. As the companion of feasts he is known. Of him, make goodly brown vats for ale and wine. Follow my counsel, O man of the smoke, and it shall go well with you, body and soul. So Eubden continued to Amania, free to go and come as he pleased, and all the Ulster men delighted to watch him and to hear his conversation. One day it chanced that he was in the chamber of the queen, and saw her putting on her feet a very daintily and richly embroidered pair of shoes. At this Eubden gave a laugh. Why dost thou laugh? said Fergus. 
Meseems that healing is applied very far from the hurt, replied Eubden. What meanest thou by that, said Fergus? Because the queen is making her feet fine in order, O Fergus, that she may attract thee to her lips, said Eubden. Another time it chanced that Eubden overheard one of the king's soldiers complaining on a pair of new brogues that had been served out to him, and grumbling that the soles were too thin. At this Eubden laughed again, and being asked why, he said, I must need laugh to hear yon fellow grumbling about his brogues, for the soles of these brogues, thin as they are, he will never wear out. And this was a true prophecy, mind you. For the same night, this and another of the king's men had a quarrel, and fought and killed each other. At last the wee folk determined to go in search of their king, and seven battalions of them marched upon Amania and encamped upon the lawn, over against the king's dune. Fergus and his nobles went out to confer with them. Give us back our king, said the wee folk, and we shall redeem him with a great ransom. <laughs> what ransom, then? asked Fergus. We shall said they, cause this great plain to stand thick with corn for you every year, and that without ploughing or sowing. <laughs> I will not give up Eubden for that, said Fergus. Then we shall do you a mischief, said the wee folk. That night, every calf in the province of Ulster got access to its dam, and in the morn there was no milk to be had for man or child, for the cows were sucked dry. Then said the wee folk to Fergus, This night, unless we get Eubden, we shall defile every well and lake and river in Ulster. <laughs> that is a trifle, said Fergus, and ye shall not get Eubden. So the wee folk carried out this threat, and once more they came and demanded Eubden, saying, Tonight we shall burn with fire the shaft of every mill in Ulster. Yet not so shall ye get Eubden, said Fergus. This being done, they came again, saying, We shall have vengeance unless Eubden be delivered to us. What vengeance? said Fergus. We shall snip off every ear of corn in thy kingdom, said they. Even so, replied Fergus, I shall not deliver Eubden. So the wee folk snipped off every year of standing corn in Ulster, and once more they returned and demanded Eubden. What will ye do next? asked Fergus. We shall shave the hair of every man and every woman in Ulster, said they, so that you shall be shamed and disgraced forever among the people of Erin. By my word, said Fergus, if ye do that, then I will slay Eubden. Then Eubden said, I have a better counsel than that, O king. Let me have liberty to go and speak with them, and I shall bid them make good what mischief they have done, and they shall return home forthwith. Fergus granted that, and when the wee folk saw Eubden approaching them, they set up a shout of triumph that a man might have heard a bow shot off, for they believed that they had prevailed and that Eubden was released to them. But Eubden said, My faithful people, you must now be gone and I may not go with you. Make good also all the mischief that you have done, and know that if you do any more, I will die. Then the wee folk departed, very downcast and sorrowful. But they did as Eubden had bidden them. Eubden, however, went to Fergus and said, 
Take, O king, the choices of my treasures and let me go. Well, then, what is thy choicest treasure? said Fergus. Hubden then began to recite to Fergus a list of his possessions, such as druidic weapons and love charms, and instruments of music that played without the touch of human hand, and vats of ale that could never be emptied. And he named, among other noble treasures, a pair of shoes, wearing which a man could go over or under the sea as readily as on dry land. Now at the same time, Ida, the dwarf and poet of Ulster, returned hale and well from the land of Phelan. And much did he entertain the king and all of the court with tales of the smallness of the wee folk, and their marvel at his own size, and their bravery and beauty, and their marble palaces and matchless minstrelry. So the king, Fergus MacLeader, was well content to take a ransom, namely the magic shoes, which he desired above all the treasures of Phelan, and to let Eubden go. And he gave him rich gifts, as he did also the nobles of Ulster, and wished him blessing and victory. And Eubden he departed with Bebo his wife, having first bestowed upon Fergus the magical shoes. And of him the tale hath now no more to say. But Fergus, never tired of donning the shoes of Eubden and traversing the secret depths of the lakes and rivers of Ulster, thereby too, in the end, he got his death. For as the wise say, for the gifts of the fairy may not be enjoyed without peril by mortal men. So in this case, too, it proved. For one day, as Fergus was exploring the depths of Loch Rurry, he met the monster, namely the river horse, that inhabited the lake. Horrible the form it was, swelling and contracting like a blacksmith's bellows, and with eyes like torches and glittering tusks, and a mane of coarse hair on its crest and neck. When it saw Fergus, it laid back its ears, and its neck arced like a rainbow over his head, and the vast mouth gaped to devour him. Then Fergus rose quickly to the surface and made for the land, and the beast was after him. Diving before it was a huge wave of foam. Barely did he escape with his life. But with the horror of the sight, his features were distorted, and his mouth was twisted around the side of his head so that he was called Fergus Rymouth from that day forward. And the gilly that was with him told the tale of the adventure. Now there was a law in Ireland that no man might be king who was disfigured by any bodily blemish. His people, therefore, loving Fergus, kept from him all knowledge of his condition, and the queen let all mirrors that were in the palace be put away. But one day it chanced that a bondmaiden was negligent in preparing the bath. And Fergus, being impatient, gave her a stroke with a switch which he had in his hand. The maid, in anger, turned upon him and cried, It would better become thee to avenge thyself on the river horse that hath twisted thy mouth than to do brave deeds on women. Fergus then bade a mirror be fetched, and when he saw his face in it, he said, The woman spake true. The river horse of Loch Rurry has done this thing. The next day, Fergus put on the shoes of Eubden, and went forth to Loch Rurry, and with him went the lords of Ulster. And when he reached the margin of the lake, he drew his sword and went down into it, and soon the waters covered him. After a while, those that watched upon the bank saw bubbling and a mighty commotion in the waters, now here, now there, and waves of bloody froth broke at their feet. At last, as they strained their eyes upon the tossing water, they saw Fergus rise to his middle from it, pale and bloody. 
In his right hand he waved aloft his sword. His left was twisted in the coarse hair of the monster's head, and they saw that his countenance was fair and kingly as of old. Ulstermen, I have conquered, he cried, and as he did so he sank down again, dead with his dead foe, into the red grave in Loch Rurry. And the Ulster lords went back to Amania, sorrowful yet proud, for they knew that a seed of honor had been sown that day in their land, from which should spring a breed of high-hearted fighting men for many generations to come. And that is chapter four of the high deeds of Finn and other bardic romances of ancient Ireland, as told by Minogan. Thank you for listening to our story. If you enjoyed it, we recommend taking a look at our Patreon page as noted in the description below. You can earn great rewards while also supporting us to keep these stories alive for future generations to come. Also remember to subscribe to us on your podcast application and leave us a five-star rating if you enjoyed this story. A special thank you to Kat for their support this month. Without your contribution, we wouldn't be able to continue these stories, and we truly appreciate it. Visit thescaldcircle.com to stay up to date with all of our current events, news, and much more. Not only that, but you can also visit our story archive of every tale we have told. It's sorted by origin and region for the convenience of your listening pleasure. Thank you for listening to our story. Don't forget, this episode is sponsored by Audible, the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks. While this story is over, you can still visit audibletrial.com slash thescaldcircle to begin your trial and download your free audiobook today. Let us know what you've listened to recently on Audible via our Facebook page. We're always looking for new recommendations.